From creation to the flood to the patriarchs to Egypt, join me, Pastor Hook, as we go through Genesis, the backstory to the beginning. Oh, we are in Genesis. Uh, I wanted to just look at um, this story about Jacob and Esau in Genesis one more time, uh, because really it was it was such a stupid thing for Esau to do to basically sell his birthright. He's the firstborn son. Everything should go to him. But I don't think he's all that smart. I mean, I don't want to say that he's, I mean, everybody has different intelligence centers, okay? Um, some people's intelligence center is more emotional. They can read people. They can read the situation. They have a lot of empathy, uh, you know, and they're just, they're very emotionally in touch with other people. Some people's intelligence center is um, their mind, right? They love to think about problems, solve problems. Um, I call it going down the rabbit holes where you where you say, okay, if I do this, I do this, I do this. You know, they're the chess players. They're the people that just like to really, really uh, overthink things to the point of absurdity. Uh, like what I am, I overthink things. I think how many, you know, how many permutations of the future can I develop and can I have a contingency plan for each one of them. You know, that's that's kind of how I navigate life. That's that's uh, that's the one. And there's other people that navigate life just through brute force. Uh, you know, they go and they um, and they they get what they want because they uh, are more powerful. Uh, you know, they exhibit power. They use their bodies, you know, uh, as much as they can. Uh, they're the ones that love to do manual labor, I guess you could say. Uh, and enjoy it, and it's the greatest thing for them. They're the people that, um, you know, like to get things done. They're the like to, it, it just, we all have different emotional centers. And so when I say that Esau uh, was dumb, I, he really wasn't, because he was obviously a skilled hunter. He was obviously well-liked by the community. I mean, his father, for crying out loud, you know, is Abraham, uh, or is Isaac, you know, who is um, who is a very, very wealthy man, you know, the tribe. Abraham is his grandfather. Isaac is his father. A lot of wealth, like he's Gaston in the Beauty and the Beast story. You know, he walks into the bar and everybody wants to buy him a drink, you know. That's that's who he is. And um, and so, uh, but sometimes, you, he, you know, when you live in that world, you don't necessarily think of the consequences of doing things, of what, you know, could happen in the future. It's, I, it's been my opinion that those types of people, they just act first and they do, you know, what they need to do to kind of, you know, do that. And then, you know, they'll deal with the consequences later if there are any consequences. Well, there's some severe consequences here for Esau. I mean, he, he does sell his birthright. I mean, that's, that's a significant consequence. Um, let's see. All right. So um, I think what I'm going to do then is I'm going to... Um, uh, go ahead and go into this. Well, no, there was one more thing I wanted to. So he sells his birthright. So Jacob gave. Uh, well, let's just look at this a little bit, a little bit, a little bit. So um, we'll start at verse, 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 verse uh, thirty-three. But Jacob said, "Swear to me first. Uh, so he swore an oath to him, uh, selling his birthright to Jacob. Then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentil stew. He ate and drank, and then he got up and left. So Esau despised his birthright. So there you have it. Um, <laughs> Esau, um, let's see, let's see, let's see. Uh, where are we? Where are we? Hmm. Okay, so 
Then Esau, then Jacob gave Esau some bread and some lentils too. He ate and drank and got up and left. So Esau sold his birthright. And um, I guess the point I wanted to make here is there are people that want gratification today uh, for things in the future. I mean, they're not really thinking about what the future holds um, and what that means for the future. Uh, and they just want to be satisfied today. And it reminds me of Wimpy. I'd gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. I'd gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. <laughs> That's Wimpy. Um, for those of you who may not know Wimpy, I'm sure all of you know who Wimpy is. Uh, Jay Wellington Wimpy was this character in the Popeye comic strip. Uh, and that was what he was known for. I'd gladly pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. He was the quintessential guy who just lived, you know, in the present, never saved his money, never, uh, never had any money on him, you know, always was going into debt, always, always needing credit and that sort of thing. Uh, you know, and there was a time, believe it or not, when was this? I mean, I think that this was probably right after World War One, maybe, or World War Two. Um, well, maybe even World War One. I. I don't know when uh, Popeye was popular, but it was definitely long before my time. And um, Popeye was um, a very popular comic strip, but uh, there was a period in our time, in our history of our American culture, where you never went into debt, right? You always had cash on you. Uh, you never, you know, said things like, I'll pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. If you wanted a hamburger today, you had cash on you today. That's how we lived. That was part of the American ethos. And man, that just sustained us so well for so long. Um, and then somewhere uh, I heard, you know, that uh, the first credit card was the diner credit card. Was that that? I think it was. It was one of those early specific traveling credit cards. I think it was a restaurant credit card. And it basically set out um, that you could basically pay you Tuesday for a hamburger today. Um, and, you know, it was, it was uh, touted as this great thing. Uh, but, you know, truly, uh, the credit card system and the credit system in the United States is the downfall of society. You should never, ever... Um, have credit debt. I mean, that is just really a really dumb thing to do. Um, I understand if you want a house that you almost have to have a 30-year mortgage on a house because most people can't, you know, save up 30 years to buy a house. Although that used to be the normal. I mean, that's how you had a house back, you know, Wimpy's time. You, you saved up and you saved up and then you bought a house and then you bought a bigger house and you bought a bigger house. You know, and when I was growing up, uh, you know, people in their neighborhood lived there for 30 years because you, you know, selling your house and moving your house is an incredible, incredible change. But nobody does that anymore. Nobody, I, I know very, very few people that stay in their house 30 years. Very rare. Um, even, you know, even the houses that I grew up in, when nobody stayed in 30 years. My grandparents, though, did stay in their house 50-something years. Um, but it was, uh, it was not, um, it wasn't, it's not the way it's done today. And unfortunately, it takes, you know, you, you purchase a house on a, on a mortgage, a 30-year mortgage, and then you sell the house 
uh, and you've got to move the house and you've got to sell it and you got to pay all the real estate fees and the transaction fees and all that. And I'm not sure you really even make money on a house unless you stay in it for 10 or 15 years or something like that. And if you're like me and you buy a house in the middle of the highest um, you know, market uh, in Vail in 2007 and then the market crashes in 2008, uh, and it takes 10 years for your house to recover its value, well, then that's just, you know, I mean, that just goes to show you houses aren't always an investment. Houses uh, are a great place to live, um, and they're wonderful if you can stay in a house for a long period of time, but uh, I don't know if we really do that anymore. And I wish we had a different system um, that that worked better for, for housing uh, because, well, that's that's a longer discussion. We won't get into that, but... But I guess I just want to say is that um, going back to Jacob and Esau, uh, he was definitely a Jay Wellington wimpy. He was a guy that says, "Hey, listen, uh, I'll I'll serve my I'll sell my birthright on Tuesday for a bowl of lentil stew today." <laughs> and uh, for those of us who like to, you know, live live um, aust- with austerity and you know not not do that kind of thing. It just seems like a really stupid thing to do. But there's a lot of people that you come across that like to that like to buy a hamburger or you know pay for the hamburger on Tuesday for for a hamburger today. Um, and it's it's not a healthy way to live. Uh, I understand that sometimes young families have to, uh, you know, because of all the expenses of raising kids today. Oh my goodness! Did I tell? I mean, I remember uh, when my daughter had our my first granddaughter Dakota and uh, she had got she had received at the baby shower um, various gift certificates to a store called Toys R Us except I think it was called Babies R Us it was one of those two stores and I think when she put it all together it was about six or seven hundred dollars which for me is an amazing amount of money I mean Six hundred dollars you put in the bank, you know, for thirty years, it can turn into a well, not today, but you put in the stock market, you know, mutual fund for thirty years, it's it'll turn into a significant amount of money. Anyway, so six hundred dollars, and she said, "We're gonna, uh, why don't you go with uh, Mike, who's my son-in-law, and go to Toys R Us or Babies R Us and just buy some stuff?" And I'm like, "Man, you'll be able to buy so much stuff, diapers and formulas and all this stuff, you know." Well, we went and we started looking at a baby stroller and a car seat. And what they were looking at was a car seat that goes in the car and then you pull it out of the car and you can actually put the car seat in the baby stroller. And that was, I believe it was around $600 for both of those. And I I about had a heart attack right in the store. I mean, I think when we bought a baby seat for our kids, it was 30 bucks or something, maybe 50 bucks. But, um, it, <laughs> So you know anybody today that's having children, I just want you to know that they are spending, and they're forced to. I mean, you cannot get an old car seat. They will not let you take the baby home from the hospital unless you have a $700 car seat. Uh, and so they, the, the amount of money that you have to spend today to be a parent in, in these families is just, I don't know how they do it. I really, really don't know how they do it. It is so so expensive to be a parent, a young parent today. Um, so pray for young parents because, the, the, you know, they're the ones that, you know, and, and credit cards are the way that you can do it, I guess, but uh, it's not a great way to do it. So anyway, um, we're going to continue on the story because uh, 
we're going to see a theme here that happens um, with Isaac, uh, who is the son of G of uh, of uh, Abraham. So um, we'll just go ahead and start reading in verse 26. So this is Isaac and Abimelech, verse 20, uh, chapter 26, verse 1. Now there was a famine in the land besides the previous famine in Abraham's time. And Isaac went to Abimelech, king of the Philistines in Gerar. The Lord appeared to Isaac and said, Do not go down to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. So uh, just so you know, the last time there was a famine in the land um, was with Abraham. And Abraham went to Egypt because there's always food in Egypt. Why is there always food in Egypt if there's a famine in the land? And why would there be famine? Well, there's a famine in the land because of a lack of rain, right? Right now, Vail, where I live, normally the summertime has a tremendous amount of rain at the end of July and, and August. And we've seen maybe two or three rainstorms, and that is it. Uh, and so we are basically having a drought I guess you could say, of rain for our normal summer monsoon. And what happens uh, if you live in the Middle East, you know, where you don't have all the plumbing that we do or the wells that we do, the drought basically means the food all dries up. And so people begin to starve and it begins to be a very dangerous thing to, to everybody. So when that's happened before, when Abraham had the famine and the drought, he went over to Egypt. Why? Because you get the Nile River. You get that whole uh, Nile Delta coming you know, up there's this incredibly large, fertile area of land in Egypt where they can grow crops and there's plenty of water and moisture and the crops grow really, really well. There's plenty of agricultural things to grow. Uh, there's plenty of water for the cattle. Um, you don't have to feed the, you don't have to water the cattle from a well. You know, you can water it from the Nile. Um, so whenever there'd be a famine, uh, you know, you would pick up everything. You would go over to the Nile River and into Egypt and there'd be plenty of food and you know, it might be uncomfortable for a year or two, but then you, when the famine and the drought's over, when God blesses more rain, then you can go back to where you were. Uh, and that's basically what this nomadic family had done in the last famine. But God tells Isaac, Abraham's son, he says, don't go to Egypt. The Lord appeared to Isaac and he says, do not go to Egypt. Live in the land where I tell you to live. God says, listen, this is the promised land. And I've given it to you. You don't need to go to Egypt. Stay here. Uh, and it's a huge act of faith. Why is it an act of faith? Because um, if you don't have water, things can dry up pretty quickly. And, uh, and you can die rather quickly. I mean, it, you need to be ahead of the game if you're smart. You need to say, listen, we're, I'm not seeing any rain. The well water is getting low. I think I'm going to head towards Egypt. But God tells Isaac, he says, listen, don't go to Egypt. Stay here. This is the land where I tell you to live. Stay in this land for a while and I will bless you. So let's go back and continue reading. Verse three, stay in this land for a while and I will be with you and will bless you. For to you and your descendants, I will give all these lands and will confirm the oath I swore to your father Abraham. I will make your descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky and will give them all these lands. And through your offspring, all nations on earth will be blessed. Because Abraham obeyed me and did everything I required of him, keeping my commands, my decrees, and my instructions. So Isaac stayed in Gerar. So 
This is another act of faith uh, for Isaac. Um, basically, things are beginning to dry up, and the normal thing to do would be go to the Nile Delta and, and be there for a while until the famine goes, and then you go back. But, but basically, God says, no, stay here, and I will bless you. Now, it's going to mean a lot more work. It means you might have to dig the well a little bit deeper. Uh, it means you're going to have to trust that that groundwater is not going to go away, that at some point God's going to bless this area with water. Um, you may not have all the water for all the crops and all the animals, but you'll get by, uh, is what God is saying. And so Isaac decides, okay, I'm going to stay. But that does mean that now he's got to have conflict with wells. And if you'll remember before, uh, his father Abraham dug a well, and there was a conflict over who owned the well. Uh, Abraham had this conflict, uh, and he brought it to King Abimelech. And he said, listen, I dug this well, and I just want you to make sure that this is my well. And Abimelech made a treaty with him and said, okay, this is your well. Uh, and so Abraham had his well, and he was able to feed uh, and water you know, crops and all that sort of thing from this well. Um, so Isaac is going to do the same thing. He's going to stay in the land, and he's going to live off of well water. Well, let's see how that goes. We'll continue reading on. So when the men of that place asked him about his wife, he said, she is my sister because he was afraid to say she is my wife. He thought the men of this place might kill me on account of Rebecca because she is beautiful. What is it with these men? I cannot believe that he is doing this like his father, Abraham. I just have to point out to you, Abraham went because of a famine into Egypt to stay, forced there because of a drought. Uh, and Abraham's wife, Sarah, is beautiful. And apparently she was stunningly beautiful. So when they go into the land, into Egypt, he tells Pharaoh and everybody, oh, that's not my wife, that's my sister. Um, to avoid danger, he tells everybody that that's his sister. Pharaoh finds out about it. Pharaoh freaks out about it. And he says, why did you tell me, sister, um, you, could have, you could have got me in trouble with God. Uh, I could have done horrible things. You know, I could have uh, yadad the sister, uh, but that's really your wife. Um, and he should have killed Abraham. The Pharaoh should have been so upset with Abraham that he would have squashed him out. But instead, Pharaoh lavishes more goods on Abraham and sends him on his way. Uh, and then we read later on that Abraham goes uh, into the land of King Abimelech and does the exact same thing. Tells Abimelech that it's his, that it's his sister. And Abimelech is like, why did you do this to me? Um, and and uh, Abraham says, well, she really is my sister because she's a distant cousin. Uh, or no, she's a half-sister. She's a half-sister. She's kind of like a sister, but she's really my wife. And what is Abimelech? Abimelech should have squashed him out. But instead, Abimelech gives Abraham more goods and things and sends him on his way. Abraham is the luckiest man ever on the face of the earth. He should have been killed two times for lying about his wife, saying it's his sister. Uh, and yet, somehow, God is protecting Abraham because he's going to be the father of a great nation uh, and through his descendants, Jesus comes. So Abraham has to stay alive. Isaac has to stay alive. Um, but this is a pattern of these 
men of Abraham and Isaac that they keep lying about their beautiful wives. First of all, kudos to them for having beautiful wives, right? I mean, a beautiful wife is a gift from God. And honestly, um, all young girls, in my opinion, are just absolutely beautiful, right? I mean, they there's just a beauty about youth that is um, that is just you know wonderful. And so, <laughs> but but um, but Isaac and Rebecca, Rebecca must have been also very beautiful. And we saw that in the story about when she came down and met Isaac's servant, and she was very beautiful. So apparently, um, Isaac and Abraham surrounded by beautiful women. You know what a blessing. Um, but, uh, <laughs> you know, they mess it up each time. She's my wife. Uh, the men of this place will kill me on account of her because she's beautiful. Um, she's my sister. Oh my goodness. So we'll continue on. When Isaac had been there a long time, Abimelech, same king, uh, the king of the Philistines looked down from a window and saw Isaac caressing his wife, Rebecca. So Abimelech summons Isaac and said, She's really your wife. Why did you say she is my sister? Isaac answered him, because I thought I might lose my life on account of her. So here we go again. Same thing, like father, like son. The sons, the sins of the father, you know, go for generation, generation. How much do we learn from our father? You know, the most powerful force for education in your kid's life is the parent's. It really is. I know that we send our kids to school and at school they learn uh, a lot about the culture. I mean, obviously they learn reading, writing, and arithmetic and all the things that we teach in school, but they're also learning kind of the culture of the world around them because they're interacting uh, with a different culture other than the family, the family nucleo, you know, the nucleus culture. And so when you send your kids off to school, they are learning uh, you know, they're, they're stepping out of the boundaries of the culture of the nuclear family, and then they're learning from the school and, you know, sports teams and all that. They're, they're learning from a wider world. And we as parents have to understand that the number one force for education, for, for values, for Christianity, for teaching the faith, all of that, that gift has been given to the parents and because the parents are the most powerful force of education in a kid's life. There is no other. The kid, the, the first, well, I should, I should back up. My wife, who is an educator, says that the first powerful force that in a kid's life is the kid himself, right? He has to learn, or she, the baby has to learn all, navigate all of this stuff, you know, when they first start to see, you know, and, and move their hands and all that sort of stuff. There's really not a whole lot that a parent can do. So the first one or two years, you know, of a, of a kid's life, it really is the kid learning about the world by themselves. I mean, they, they, and the, there's not a whole lot that a parent can do except to sit there and love them, right? But the, the kid's learning, the brain synapses are firing, the cells are multiplying, incredibly and all these memories and things and all that but the kid is its own teacher the first teacher a kid has is a kid himself but then the next teacher is the mom and dad and the nuclear family and that that is such a powerful force i can't even begin to tell you that is a powerful powerful force and um so the if the kids you know if the family's messed up then the kid 
you know, we'll, we'll have a, a, a lot of struggles in life. If the family is strong and teaches well uh, the grace of God and the love of God and um, the stories of God and um, all the things that, you know, that a parent uh, is asked by God to teach their children, if, if those types of things happen, then the child is so blessed. Oh my goodness, such a huge blessing to grow up in a family where the family is strong, it's a strong nuclear family, you know, mom and dad are pretty decent people. They teach the kids, you know. Um, I personally think the number one thing you need to teach your kid is grace, uh, forgiveness. Yeah, you messed up today, but I still love you. You're still my family, you know, you're st it's, a, it's an image of the kingdom of God, right? Um, where God says, yeah, you messed up big today, buddy, <laughs> but I still love you and you're still in my kingdom and I'm never gonna let go of you. I mean, though, and that's what the nuclear family is supposed to pattern for these kids. The best thing that we can do as parents um, is to teach their kids, you know, right from wrong. And when you mess up, you're still part of the family. I still love you. There's still God's grace. There's my grace and there's God's grace. And uh, let's let's figure out how to get, to, you messed up, now let's figure out how to make it right. And um, so that that is, and that is, if, if that's taught early on in a family, oh my goodness, um, that kid will, will be confident, that kid will grow up, um, you know, uh, understanding his place in the world. Um, now, will every kid turn out perfectly? No, because even the best parents can have kids that just, you know, rebel against that. And even the worst parents can have wonderful kids. I mean, so there's not necessarily one-to-one -one correlation. It's just, I mean, that we got to do our best as parents, but we're going to mess up. A friend of mine uh, said, he teaches a course on parenting. He said, you know, all of our parents, all, every parent at some point damages their children. Every parent at some point damages their children because no parent is perfect. And if no parent is perfect, then at some level you're gonna say something, you're gonna do something, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna do something that's gonna damage your child at some point. And the only prayer that we can have in life is that the child knows that they're loved by the parents loved by the family and loved by God. And uh, you know, if they get, if they, at 18, when they leave your house or whenever they leave your house, you know, if they know those things, then a parent has done, you know, as best as a parent can do. Because no parent is perfect. Obviously, Abraham's not perfect. I mean, Abraham, twice, he said that his wife, that his wife Sarah was his sister. And now that's been passed down to Isaac. And Isaac does the exact same thing to the same king, right, to Abimelech. Um, well, I, we haven't gotten there yet, but uh, we'll see that tomorrow, verse eight, that um, that it messes up, um, you know, and uh, we'll see. So the last two times this happened um, with Abraham, Abraham was showered with praise, at, or not showered with praise, showered with gifts and sent on his way. Um, now Isaac is doing it to King Abimelech, uh, and we'll see what King Abimelech does. And we'll have to we'll have to look at that story tomorrow. So. Hey, uh, that's the end of today. Uh, I am so grateful that uh, you've joined me today. Uh, my prayer for you is to uh, have a hamburger today, but pay for it today. <laughs> Maybe I'll have hamburgers for dinner. You know, Taco Tuesday at Del Webb um, Country Club. So if you want to go get Taco Tuesday, I don't even know if they, uh, I haven't, I've been in there twice now, but I haven't been in there on a Tuesday yet. But they used to have $2 tacos or two fifty tacos. So you could go in there and get tacos. And I love Taco Tuesday if they're still having it at uh, Del Webb. 
But if not, um, maybe I'll have a hamburger, but maybe I won't even go to Del Webb because I've got a big, huge chicken that I'm flying. I'm going to have spatchcock chicken tonight. All right, so um, I guess we'll close in prayer. Dear God, thanks for uh, watching over us. Thank you for not kicking us out of your kingdom when we mess up because of your son, Jesus. In his name we pray, amen.